Good morning. If you brought a Bible, please turn to our New Testament reading, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Now, in my Bible, that's um, page 1,181. Just to give you a hint, if, if you're new to the Bible, look, I mean, it's basically to the end, okay? So, if you are new to the Bible, it is a big and complex book, and it, it can be very hard to find your way around, so don't, no shame about using the table of contents. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Now, last week, we looked at the first six verses of this chapter, the first paragraph of this chapter, where Paul lays out his resume, and it's impressive um, for that culture in that time, it, it really is impressive. He, he shows us his credentials, how in the Jewish world, he had a remarkable pedigree. He was born, we would say today, according to the values of that culture, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had the status, he had the heritage, he had the education that most people um, sought after. And he had connections, he, he had it all, everything that a person could want. And then one day, he met Jesus. And then notice how it, meeting Jesus for him was like an asteroid landing, boom, right in the center of his life. Because notice what he says in verse seven, whatever gain I had, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul had been raised to think that his Jewish privileges and his Israelite ancestry, his Hebrew parents, the Old Testament, circumcision, his, his accomplishments as a Jew, becoming a Pharisee, being zealous, persecuting the church. Paul was raised in a culture that valued his Jewish identity and his performance in the Jewish tradition and, and the culture he was raised in saw those things as the mark of someone who God would vindicate when he makes everything right again. That one day God would heal the world, reverse all the evil, set the nations free. And Paul was raised to think that his Jewish identity and his Jewish achievements gave him an inside track to the winning team. But after meeting Jesus, Paul says, man, the only thing that counts is Jesus and knowing him. The only status that's worth anything to Paul now is being known by Jesus. The only boast that matters to him now is Jesus. Everything else, everything, in comparison to knowing Jesus, even the good things, the difference is so big. All of that stuff now is closer to trash than it is the value of Jesus. Now, what about you? 
What were you raised to value? Probably not what Paul was raised to value because you were raised in an entirely different culture. What were you raised to value? What status have you been taught either by your family or by the culture? What status have you been taught is worthy of your time and your energy and your resources? Who has a heritage that you're jealous of? Who, what is something somebody else has accomplished that you wished you had accomplished? What, what are the achievements that you have achieved that give you pride? Now notice, once Paul learned about Jesus and began to know Jesus, it's not just that he began to see things in his life differently and he began to realize that knowing Jesus was more important than even the most important things in his life. And that by comparison, all those things are rubbish. Notice in the middle of verse 8, it's more than that. Notice that knowing Jesus not only caused him to reevaluate the things he, the way he put things in a list of value, Knowing Jesus actually cost him all of those things. Knowing Jesus meant that Paul lost his family. He lost his home. Because he knew Jesus, he lost his inheritance. He lost many of his friends. The cost of knowing Jesus was not just I re-rank my value system. No, it was very personal for Paul. He paid a huge personal cost. He gave up a promising career. He lost significant financial rewards that he was on track to receive because he was a part of the patron-client relationship under the high priest that guaranteed wealth and status. He suffered mind-boggling hardships, right? He was beaten. He was starved. He was thrown in prison. He was shipwrecked. The list just goes on and on and on. And all of this was a direct result of him knowing Jesus. And the losses were not just a moment on the Damascus Road. For Paul, the bill kept coming in year after year after year. Look, being a Christian is not about holding some get-out-of-jail-free card and then not thinking too much about God until you stand before the pearly gates and then you whip out this secret access card that you get to play and live in the happily ever after. Being a Christian is not about hedging your bets for when you die. In fact, this word that comes up, it's in verse 7, right? I count it, all lost count. Comes up in verse 7, comes up twice in verse 8. Literally... It means to engage intentionally in the process of regarding, of considering, of thinking. It's consciously 
making a judgment carefully when you weigh the facts out. It's about really thinking things out. It's an intellectual process. This isn't just like a fleeting thought, like, oh, I met this really cool dude. Now now I see life kind of different. No, knowing Jesus forced Paul into a careful, long process of rearranging the way he thought about everything, about his own life and his own accomplishments and his own identity and his aspirations and what these things counted for. So much so that like we heard Jesus in our gospel reading say, Paul came to the point to say, whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake in the gospel will save it. It's worth it. He didn't feel that it was worth it. He thought it all out and came to the judgment. Yep, I've lost everything and I got the best deal because I got Jesus. Now, that's not a thing that you can just make sense of off the, right off the chute. That's not a thing that just suddenly dawns on you and like works its way out. No, this is a long, thoughtful journey for Paul as he weighed the facts. And then Paul launches into a series of six benefits. There's all kinds of benefits to knowing Jesus. In this moment, in this letter, here's the list of six he came up with when he just started kind of getting dizzy on on how wonderful it was to know Jesus. The first one is in verse 8. Let's get a running start. I've suffered the loss of all things and have now come to realize they are rubbish in comparison in order that I may gain Christ. And number one, first benefit, be found in him. The first benefit that Paul lists is this, to know Christ is to be brought into Christ. In other words, you become a part of God's story. You are swept up in the great story of God's work to make all things new through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You become a part of that story. You're cast in an Oscar-winning film. You join the team that's going to win the Super Bowl. You become a Houston Astro because they're going to win the World Series. You're there when Michelangelo is painting the Sistine Chapel and you're in on it. You're in the room. God is making all things new. There is a God and he made everything and he's going to heal everything. And don't you long for meaning and purpose and freedom? To know Jesus is to be swept up in the great work of God to heal all things, to deliver this world into true freedom. You get in on that. Second, he says in verse 9, To be found in him, second, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul is saying that to know Christ is to receive the gift of a righteous status graciously bestowed on you by God, the creator of the world, who is creating in Jesus a new people, a new status, a new covenant, as the anticipation of the ultimate putting all things to right. To know Jesus 
is to be given membership in the community that is God's community. This righteousness, it's received from God by entrusting ourselves to the lead character of this story, by entrusting ourselves to Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus was faithful. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was faithful all the way. He's the deliverer. He's the true Israel. He's the new Adam. Jesus was faithful where everyone else failed. And when I entrust myself to Jesus and to his faithfulness, God gives me the status of being in the right relationship to himself, of being in the family of God. The third reason that it's worth the loss of everything to know Jesus is because like Paul writes in verse 10, in knowing Jesus, I can know the power of his resurrection. Look at it this way. You know the power of materialism. You've felt it. You've felt its draw. You've seen stories that show what it can do. You, you know the power of self-indulgence. You've brushed up against it, haven't you? But in knowing Jesus, you can brush up against the life-giving, death-crushing, new world-creating power of God. Aren't you tired of all the powers you keep bumping up into? Aren't you tired of the power of selfishness? Aren't you tired of bumping up into it? Aren't you tired of the way it plays out? Aren't you tired of the brushes with all the powers that crush and break and diminish and rob and steal? The power of the resurrection is life-giving power, death-crushing power. It's the power of peace and flourishing and shalom. That power is in Jesus. And in knowing him, you will know that power. You'll experience it. Number four, to know Jesus is to fellowship with Jesus in his sufferings. Now, all of a sudden, it feels like, wait, wait, wait. I mean, this was a good thing, and, and now you just shifted over into something I don't want, right? It, it feels like that, and so we think about it. We think about it a little more. What does it mean that I will share in his sufferings? That's the word in Greek. In Greek, it's um, koinonia. It's participate, that I'll have skin in the game. Remember, we've seen this already in this series. One of the most remarkable things is about knowing Jesus is that not only are you swept up into his story, but your own story gets swept up into his story. Your sufferings get brought into fellowship with Jesus' sufferings. In your sufferings, you begin to participate in Jesus' own healing of the world through his sufferings. Thirteen years ago, on April the 23rd, 2010, I suffered a life-altering emotional breakdown. 
For about a week, I sat on a, in a lawn chair in my garden in a catatonic state. And for several months after that, um, I was useless to the world. And I ended up on a farm in North Louisiana, way deep in the country, all by myself, um, suffering. When the breakdown first occurred, um, the only way I can explain it is that it, it was like if my body was a car, obviously a sports car. Um, <laughs> it was like I was driving down the road and the timing belt broke. I mean, it just, I couldn't process information. It wasn't like a tire blew out and I limped along. It just, everything went to black. And um, I felt like I was standing on the edge of a deep, dark abyss that if I slipped one more inch, I would never come back to reality. And um, I had this friend, his name is Robbie Holt. He is a great man. He lived two hours away from me in Chattanooga. He got in his car, he's a Presbyterian pastor. My breakdown came through my sufferings as a pastor. He got in his car and he drove two hours. He got there that one morning and he just sat down right next to me. And he told me, I would try to talk and I couldn't even sling, string words together. He, he would say, Aubrey, we don't have to talk. I'm just gonna sit here with you. And I would try to tell him about my suffering and he cried with me. He got mad with me for me. He entered into my suffering and participated with me. He didn't try to be like an objective outside therapist looking down on my, he entered right into it with me. Suffering is a part of life in this good but broken world. And one of the benefits of knowing Jesus is that as great as Robbie Holt is, there is a friend that is greater. And a benefit of knowing Jesus is that your suffering can get caught up into a larger story that makes sense of things. It can be caught up into a story that will make it count for something. Your suffering can become a participation with Christ in his suffering for the life of the world. We don't have to be alone in the moments of aloneness. Number five, a fifth benefit to knowing Jesus is at the end of verse 10, becoming like him in his death. Now, this is interesting because pay attention to the turn of phrase. In knowing Jesus, I can be molded into the pattern of his death. It's not that the goal becomes suffering. It's that the goal becomes to be Christ-like in your suffering. Now look at Jesus in his suffering. Don't you wish you could suffer that way? His peace, his non-anxious presence, when the worst is going on, 
the way he doesn't become this rabid beast striking out at anyone near him? Don't you want to be able to suffer and die in his pattern, with his character, in his kind of way? Don't you want to escape from the anxiety that comes with the suffering? Becoming like Jesus in his death is to become a true human. It is to become truly yourself. Free from the bondages. Number six. The sixth benefit Paul lays out for knowing Jesus comes up in verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Only time that actual, that particular use of the phrase comes up in the New Testament. It's interesting. Paul not only wants to know the power of the resurrection in the present, He wants in on the resurrection in the future. And when he says in verse 11, so that somehow I may arrive at the final resurrection from the dead, he's not saying that that's in doubt. He's already told us it's not in doubt. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's sure that he'll get in on the resurrection of the dead. But what he's showing us here is that when you're in the thick of suffering, it often feels like the resurrection is just an extraordinary dream and you can't quite believe it. A more literal translation is so that somehow I may arrive at the resurrection out from the dead. Just imagine this. There will come a time when Jesus' people will be brought out from the realm of the dead. Now, when I read this paragraph, the thing that strikes me the most is the thing it presumes. It presumes that Jesus is knowable. Something that pagans could not declare with confidence about their deities. Christ opens himself to a relationship with believers through his faithfulness and our response of faith. My friends who are Buddhist, you cannot say this. Of your, your religion does not say this. My friends who are Muslim, your religion does not offer this. My friends who are Baha'i, your religion doesn't offer this. This is what Christianity says. Christianity offers us this story of the world, that the creator of the world took on flesh and became human and is the Lord of the world and invites you and me into a relationship, an open invitation to all to know him, the great and the lowly, the rich and the poor, the Jew and the Greek. And notice That knowing Jesus is to have a personal relationship with the king of the world, right? It says right there in the middle of verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
Look, I hope you've been reading Philippians over and over. And if you haven't, I encourage you every day, try to find 12 minutes where you can just sit down and read it straight through. And you will be struck that this is a personal relationship with Paul. It sings out. He can't go two sentences without talking like a eighth grade boy who's fallen in love for the first time. This is a relationship. This is knowledge that comes from a personal relationship. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's, a, it's the one-on-one friendship. It is a deeply personal friendship. He's talking about the kind of knowing of Jesus that best friends have of each other. Knowing him and being known by him comes from being in union with him. Knowing his love for you, experiencing the profound depths of God's love. In Galatians, when Paul is just going nerdy on theology and it's almost impossible to track him and people spend decades trying to figure out exactly the heights he's ascended to, then all of a sudden it's like he's schizophrenic. He looks to the side and he just says, he loves me and he died for me. That's the beating heart of it all for Paul. You know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know that many religions at the time that was written conceived of the deity as a shepherd, but always and only as the king's shepherd and the nation's shepherd. Never was a deity ever described in the ancient Near East as the poor man's shepherd, as the everyman's shepherd. This was absolutely unheard of. The Lord is my shepherd. And do you see what happened to Paul? Knowing this, knowing that God loves me, that God gave himself for me, that he has made me his own and that I am in him, this transforms me. It transforms me. My mind and the way I think about what matters in life and it transforms my existence and it transforms my identity and it transforms my destiny. But here's the deal. Knowing Jesus can never be merely personal because notice what he says. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That means king. That means king of the whole world. It doesn't mean my personal master. He's King Jesus. He's the Messiah. Jesus has brought Israel's long history to its climax. He has personally taken on Israel's vocation. He's embodied Israel's destiny by going down into the exile of death and coming out the other side into the long-awaited new life. And so to know this Jesus, the King, As Lord, Yahweh himself, who is the the king of the whole world, knowing this Jesus is never merely a personal thing. Because we know Jesus personally, we know the true Lord of the world personally. And so we are made the new royal family of God's new world. And we have royal work to do, public work to do. That's why the center of the letter we've seen over and over in chapter 1, verse 27, is that your public behavior must match up to the good news of King Jesus. Look, 
The world is always trying to make deals with the church, to put us in a box, to tone down our message, to regard us as simply the religious side of society. But to know the king, we cannot allow ourselves to be sidelined like that. We cannot allow who we are to be this private thing. Knowing Jesus must not only shape our eternal destiny, it must shape our inward life and our public life. What is so valuable that if you lost everything to get it, you get a good deal? Jesus is. He really, really is. Let's pray.